Welcome to Strength for Today's Pastor, conversations with current senior pastors and leaders which will strengthen and help you in your pastoral ministry. And now, here's your host, Bill Holdridge of Poyman Ministries. Welcome to podcast number 70 of Strength for Today's Pastor. Today we're speaking with Pastor Carl Vaders. And I've been looking forward to this program for a while now because the Lord has steered Carl into a very important ministry to help so-called small churches and to strengthen the pastors of those churches. And to be honest, most of the churches that Poyman Ministries has been involved with in our 12 years of ministry have been too small to medium-sized churches. So to introduce Carl, Carl is the teaching pastor of Cornerstone Christian Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California, very close to where I grew up in Tustin, and he also is the author of numerous blogs and also three major books aimed at the small church and its leaders. Carl is focused on helping small churches thrive. So his books are, in terms of order, The Grasshopper Myth, Big Churches, Small Churches, and the Small Thinking That Divides Us. Small Church Essentials, Field-Tested Principles for Leading a Healthy Congregation of Under 250, and 100 Days to a Healthier Church, his newest book, A Step-by-Step Guide for Pastors and Leadership Teams, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But Carl, just want to welcome you to Strength for Today's Pastor, and I'm really happy you could carve out time in your schedule to do this. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome, Bill. It's good to be with you. Yeah, and, and it's good to be with you, and it's good to connect. But it's only been recently, really, in the last seven or eight years that you've become pretty much a major go-to guy for small church encouragement. And uh, for those listening and who may not know you, how is all that connected? You wrote The Grasshopper Myth as your first book, and you've been a prolific blogger, uh, of course, since then and about that subject. But how did that all connect? How did that book happen? Tell the story. That's, it's so interesting. Sure. Uh, well, as you mentioned, you know, I live in Orange County, California. I've been here for 27 years now, and I've been in pastoral ministry altogether uh, about 40 years. Um, but when I came here 27 years ago, um, you know, uh, we're, we're on a main street. We're actually on Euclid Street, which is one of the border streets of Disneyland, exactly eight miles north of us. And uh, in Orange County, all around us are you know, all kinds of major churches, um, you know, Saddleback, the original Vineyard, the original Calvary Chapel, Crystal Cathedral, uh, Church on the Way, Angelus Temple. Um, it, there's, when you look around, uh, you know, within a half hour to 45 minute drive of my front door, it, it's not just big churches, but it's, it's kind of been a place where big movements have begun. And uh, so we, I moved here 27 years ago to a church that had been through five pastors in 10 years they just about voted to close the doors. I thought, let's give it one more shot. And I came in and I, I, I looked around and thought, well, you know, there's a lot of people here. We want to reach them for Jesus, which means our church is going to grow and we'll probably get really big. I mean, take a look at the big churches around us. And uh, the Lord did bring health and did bring some growth, but we never, ever got to the point where we had that kind of explosive growth that uh, that it seemed to me that, this, that the uh, church growth books and seminars seemed to promote was inevitable. That's, and I'm saying seemed a couple of times because <laughs> I do want to take my own, take responsibility for my own feelings in that. Um, but the impression that I got anyway from the church growth books and principles and so on was if you do these things, your church will get relentlessly bigger, especially if you have a large population to draw on. 
And that just never happened for us. We're still in our small building. We had a bit of growth for a while. Then we had a season of, uh, you know, massive growth followed by a season of even faster collapse. Um, and after that collapse, which happened a little over 10 years ago, I found myself reeling um, and not being able to understand, you know, what have I been doing wrong? Um, you know, person after person would come, pastor after pastor would come and visit the church. And virtually every one of them would say, oh, you won't be small for long. This place is great. You're doing so many good things here, which the first couple of times you hear it feels wonderful. But, you know, the 20th, 30th, 40th time you hear that <laughs> after years and years, you go, OK, um, what's wrong then? Everybody keeps telling me I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm following all the rules. But we're stalled out at these numbers. You know, these we're one of these stuck churches. So I actually almost left the church, almost left ministry thinking I must just be blowing it here. And through a long season of soul searching and and. Oh, let's just face it, burnout or midlife crisis or whatever you want to call it. All mm -hmm, of that combined. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, I basically just sat down and just poured out all of my frustrations and my concerns. I just started writing it all down. And then I start, kept writing as I kept discovering, hey, there are some small principles that apply to small churches that I really haven't been paying attention to. And after I ended up writing it all down just for my own sake, I kind of looked at it and went, I may have a book here that'll help others. Mm. And that's really how the grasshopper myth came about. It was uh, just the result of my own personal journey and writing it down for myself. And so of the three books, it's the one still today that when you read it, it feels the most raw and immediate because if, first of all, it's still self-published. I haven't had a, you know, a, an editor go over it yet, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it mostly because it came out of all of that raw experience. So, uh, and then out of that, uh, basically from the leftovers of the book that didn't quite fit in a book format, I started writing the blog. I put the book out, I put the blog out, and people just started reading it and responding to it from day one, way beyond anybody's expectations, especially mine. Um, so that's, that's how it all, how, how the genesis of this. So the book came out just a little over seven years ago, the blog at that same time, and it's been, it's been going ever since. Wow. That's a great story. I, I seem to remember listening to an interview you were doing or write, reading something that you'd written. I can't remember what now. But you were in a, in a meeting with your leaders, and one of them suggested or, or, or made the comment, what, what can we do now to grow our church or something like that? And you responded yeah. back by saying, enough <laughs> or something like that. What, yeah. what happened? Can you recount that? Yeah, that's actually that's actually in the grasshopper myth. I tell that story, and uh, all of that is all my fault. That was me. I was, I, I was about a year out after um, this whole collapse, and kind of came back and and was feeling healthier again, and was basically just saying, you know, let's let, let's not pursue the numbers anymore because chasing the numbers has nearly killed me mm. and nearly killed the church. Mm. And then I I in a meeting started talking about let's get those numbers up. And I stopped myself mid-sentence and said, okay, that's it. That's enough. And then I said this phrase that changed my life. We've got to stop thinking like a big church. Okay. And everybody in the room like looked at me like, what? Because you know the, the mantra of the church growth movement is if you want to be a big church, you got to think like a big church. And I said, we got to stop thinking like a big church for one simple reason, because we're not one. And we're a small church. We've got to start asking ourselves what? 
does a healthy small church look like? And nobody in the room, starting with me as the pastor, knew how to answer that question. And I thought, boy, we're, there's something really missing here. If, mm-hmm. as I discovered later on in my study, you know, 90% of the churches in the world can be considered small and we don't know what a healthy one looks like. Wow. So yeah, that was when I decided I got to, I got to figure this out. If, if, if it was, if 10% of churches were small, then we'd fix the 10%. But if 90% of churches have been, are, are small and have been small for 2000 years and counting, then maybe small isn't a problem. Maybe there's a, there's a strategy going on that God is trying to get us to tap into here that we need to recognize and we need to, we need to leverage for the sake of the kingdom of God. So that was one of those moments that really became a shift for me. What, what does a healthy small church look like and how can we start doing that better? Did that happen before you wrote The Grasshopper Myth? That was probably early on in the whole just pouring it all out in kind of a journal format. It was very early in that process. And I, I, I probably rushed home that day and wrote, wrote everything down about that meeting that day, <laughs> <laughs> which, which is part of the immediacy of the book. I'm pretty, I, I can pretty much guarantee that I wrote about that day on that day. Okay. All right. Well, that's great. So since that time, I don't know what your schedule is or, or what, how you uh, use your week, but I can imagine you're very involved in the things related to the books you've written. So how's that affected your, your church life and the pastoring of your fellowship there and and uh you, you call yourself now the website calls you a teaching pastor so i imagine right. that that denotes some sort of a shift yeah th- that's actually one of the great uh, um i think underappreciated parts of the story so i'm i'm grateful that you've asked that and i get a chance to talk about it because um when i started doing this uh like i said i wrote i wrote the book and i put out the blog and immediately I started getting responses and immediately started getting requests to come and speak at places. I I had been in ministry at that point, almost 30 years and had literally never once been asked to come and speak as a guest speaker at a church. Um, You know, cause I'm in a small church and I can't seem to get it going. Why would anybody want to bother kind of a thing? Um, But immediately started getting requests and just said, Oh, okay, I'll come and talk about this. And then it started building and building and I was gone more and more. Um, by the time I was doing that consistently, we had made a big shift in our church to where we were, I was, I was leaning into what I now call the pastoral prime mandate, which is Ephesians four verses 11 and 12, where Mm -hmm. where pastors along with apostles, prophets, teachers, and evangelists are given one task, which is to equip God's people for works of ministry. Uh, so we were really training our own lay leaders to to help help each other, take care of each other, to reach out to the community. So I was able to go more because they weren't as reliant upon me as a pastoral presence as we had been before. Uh, the other part of that is, um, as of now, I've been in this church for just over 27 years. The entire 27 years, I've had the same youth pastor. Wow. Um, yeah, Gary Garcia. So he, at that, so this was, we're talking, you know, coming up on 18, 19 years together at that point. So Obviously, he was strong enough, mature enough to be able to take care of things while I was gone. Um, and then as it began to grow even more and I began to write more and I began to add the books to it and travel more often, one of the great, wonderful, undertold parts of this is that our church, there's literally not been a single 
moment where anybody in our congregation has said or even hinted that when I'm gone, I am, uh, I am taking away from the ministry of the church. Every single breath that they breathe about this is that they understand as I do this, I am extending the ministry of this church. Mm, you're a missionary see- from the church. Exactly, exactly. And, and that only comes because we were able to make that shift as part of my um, <clears throat> redefining of success in, in what's a healthy small church look like. A big part of what we taught and started to live then was we, we're not going to just do ministry in the church. We have to do ministry from the church. Mm, that's so and great. They embraced that. Yeah, they embraced that wholeheartedly and then saw what I was doing as an extension of that. So uh, two year, just a little over two years ago, um, we shifted roles. Uh, one, the youth pastor who had been a youth pastor at that point for 25 years for the first time in his life felt called to actually be a, a lead pastor, mm. but did not feel called to leave and go to a different church. So we had a, we had a, a very interesting conversation about him coming to me and basically wanting my job. Uh, <laughs> but at the time we started that conversation, we'd been working together for 23 years. So nobody was feeling threatened by anybody. And, uh, and I was beginning to wonder how I was going to continue to manage all of this. So we looked at it and saw, you know, this is the Lord's timing. So uh, two years ago, uh, my youth pastor of 25 years became my lead pastor, mm. and I became his teaching pastor. So I'm still there doing teaching and leading areas of ministry, like I oversee the preschool still and men's ministries and, 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 and you know, a good part of the teaching load and so on. And uh, it has been a great shift for the church, been a great uh, opportunity for us to think in new ways about mission and ministry because he has different leadership gifts than I do. Uh, And it has gone uh, shockingly seamlessly, um, just just a beautiful uh, transition where everybody has accepted him as the lead and everybody is appreciative that I get to stick around and still do some teaching and be a big part of the life of the church. Mm, Fantastic. Sounds sounds like that must have contributed to the book. Uh, about the healthy church, and we'll get to that. Uh, yes, it definitely. Did. And also your second book as well, Small Church Essentials. Well, you know, moving on from there, and thanks for that. That's a great history, and I'm I'm so glad for that. And it, I just love the story of healthy churches. That just sounds really healthy. That's a blessing. So um, obviously, right now, as we speak, we're in the midst of the COVID nineteen related issues that are affecting churches everywhere and you've you've done something about that and you've used your platform to minister to churches of all sizes i'm sure on this level and you call it adapt and recover and when i first reached out to you my thought was well you know let's just talk about these other things but now that we're in the middle of this this is uh, germane to our conversation so maybe you could talk about this for a little bit adapt and recover what what is available and what have you what have you put together Sure. It, well, it's actually something we are putting together. Um, but yeah, when this when this first hit, um, strangely enough, literally the last uh, blog post I wrote before the the crisis hit was, "Hey, I've got a new book," and then boom, the whole world changed. Hmm. Um, and then I thought, I really don't feel like selling a book, so I really just kind of set it off to the side and thought, you know, we'll wait till this passes, which everybody at first thought would be just a few weeks. <laughs> and you know, and then I'll start worrying about promoting a book. And I just kind of left it aside and thought, let's hunker down and see if we can get through this crisis well. Um, but a- as it began to come along, and we started realizing that this is going to last weeks and months, and now 
I think everybody recognizes we're going to be in years of recovery after this. This is going to change things substantially for a very long period of time. Mm. Um, I started looking around, especially as I was talking to other small church pastors um, and hearing their concerns, hearing their heart, recognizing the concerns that we had at our own church. And what I realized was that there were two predominant needs that I was hearing. And that was, uh, we need help adapting to the current situation. And we're going to need to start thinking and praying and acting now to be prepared to recover as this phases itself out. And we go, I was going to say we go back. We're not going back to anything. But as we move forward into something that we will land on that we will at that point call normal. Um, So we need to adapt and we need to recover. So as I was starting to think about that and as I was writing, you know, occasional articles about it, I I just had a bigger picture in mind. And that was um, almost everything that I'm reading from church leaders about this crisis um, comes from a larger church standpoint. Uh, And that's not new. That's been that's been the case for a long time. That was why when I first started uh, trying to do research on small churches, I, I became the go-to guy for it simply because there are so few other people who are spending a significant amount of time on small church issues. Mm-hmm. So with this issue, for instance, immediately, you know, how, let's get online. And the discussion immediately turned to things like, you know, how do we stage differently on for uh, an online service than simply, you know, uh, live streaming our current service and a whole bu- and, and all of these questions are valid and all of the answers were helpful, but they almost entirely came from the standpoint of a larger church that was already live streaming their services and how do we make a couple tweaks to change it? Mm-hmm. And I'm getting calls from and hear emails from and seeing online discussions from small church pastors who are going, uh, what do I do now? We don't live stream our services. I'm stuck at home. Even if I had a tech team, which I don't, I wouldn't be able to get in touch with them right now. We couldn't physically be in the same room. And so they're looking at it and going, they're not trying to figure out how to tweak their online. They're trying to figure out what direction do I hold my phone in? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, right? How, how, how do I make sure that I'm seen and heard properly? After I do that, where do I put it? How do I clip the front and back so you don't have that weird picture of me leaning forward to turn the camera on and off Mm -hmm. and all of those things have to be answered have to be answered quickly and have to be done by a pastor who's not a technical expert yeah and i realized there's a whole bunch of questions in this that are going to be small church pastors will be asking a different series of questions Mm -hmm. Uh, there there will be overlap but there's going to be a whole big chunk of questions that small church pastors are going to have to figure out that is really not going to be a concern from the big church pastor who can hand it off to their tech team. Mm-hmm. And, and not just with tech, but with all kinds of other things. How will small churches adapt differently? And then at the end of it, how will we recover differently? There are going to be some big churches that will come out of this bigger and stronger and with a higher attendance because the massive online presence that they're bringing in right now, I believe will actually translate to higher in-person numbers after this is over. Yeah. For small churches, a whole bunch of them will not make it through this, have already closed their doors permanently. And for those that do come out of it, even if they went into it strong, they will come out of it uh, you know, crippled or even on the edge. And their recovery is going to be look very different and going to take a, a much longer time. So with that in mind, I thought we need a resource 
where small church pastors can go to get information about how to adapt and how to recover. So as I was just thinking it through and really kind of asking the Lord to help me to figure this out, I had in my mind, small church, adapt and recover. And I went, SCAR. Well, that's a really bad acronym. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, I'm not much of an acronym guy, but at that point I thought, well, maybe there is an acronym for it. So I threw in the word pastor and took out the, you know, made small church a single word, SPAR. Okay, small church, pastor, adapt and recover, SPAR. Oh, that's getting closer. And then I added the, a K at the end. So it's called the small church, pastor, adapt and recover kit, which is SPARK. There you go. So um, it's Spark Online is what we're going to be calling it because it's not going to be a kit that's, you know, put in a box and delivered to your house. It's going to be resources that are online. So we are currently building what we're calling our Spark Online page. And by the time it's built in a, another 10 days to two weeks, we hope to have it launched. Uh, the idea will be that you go to, it's actually at carlvaders.com backslash Spark. And when you go there, what will happen is you'll have two choices, a, a drop down for adapt and a, a drop down for recover and under those drop downs will be different categories where you can get help uh with finance financial ideas for youth for kids for um uh, law and tax for uh facilities so we're going to try to come up with as many subcategories that make sense for small churches as we can and start loading it up with as much as we can find both what i can write and produce plus we are beginning to work with strategic partners who are going to be helping us with that, uh, some of whom are actually going to be creating landing pages on their sites with specific resources that are designed for small churches. Oh, that's excellent. That's really great. I'm glad to hear it. I went to that site, carlvaders.com slash spark, and looked at what you've got so far, and it looks great. And by the way, we're recording this on April 23rd. And so you're saying that within seven to 10 days, is that what you said? Yeah, hopefully in, hopefully in early May, it will be, uh, there will be, it will be not just a landing page, which it is now, but an actual kind of mini site within a site. And then at that point, we're hoping to be adding uh, resources pretty much daily to that site uh, as we find things and as we put them up. Okay, good. Well, I would like to, to put a link directly to that site. Uh, on our website, if if it, if you don't mind, because <laughs> I think well, that sounds great. great. Yeah. Okay, good. Wonderful. Absolutely. All right. Well, this has been great. We've been talking with Carl Vaders, and now we're going to take a short break, and we will be back real soon. You've been listening to Strength for Today's Pastor. Poinman Ministries appreciates your participation and prayers. If you'd like to help financially support this podcast, you can go to our website at poinmanministries.com forward slash donate. Thank you. All right, we're back. Well, uh, small churches, that's what we're talking about with Carl Vaders. And, and again, I thank God for your ministry to pastors, Carl, and, and to the whole small church idea. I don't remember where I heard it, but you and an interviewer were talking about the description small churches, and it was either you or the interviewer who referred to them as normal-sized churches. I don't know if you remember that comment, but uh, what is, yeah. uh, I'd like to, to hear your, your thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the typical size ch church in the world is about 75 to 85 people. So if, if typical, if, if the average is 75 to 85, and if 90% of congregations are under 250, then it's really hard to look at a smaller congregation and call it broken or problematic. It is, 
it is the normal size and has been for 2,000 years and counting. A church of under 100 is a typical church. If you were to simply take all the churches in the world, you know, put, you know, put them each on a ping pong ball, toss them up in the air and gather 10 ping pong balls, nine of those ping pong balls are going to represent churches under 250 people. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it has been and, and is everywhere. So, um, so the small churches are normal. They're not, they're not broken. Uh, they're not wrong. They're not problematic. They are normal. Uh, actually early on when I started this ministry, I debated uh, simply calling it, you know, a ministry to normal-sized churches, and I came up with—we ran through a whole list of other potential names. And the reason I st- landed with small and have stayed on small is because I thought, you know, we—it's hard to tell people that small isn't a problem if we're afraid to use the word small. Mm. So I thought, yeah, s- small is normal, small is fine, small is not broken, so I'm going to use the word small. Uh, but I, I do have an appreciation, especially for those who are in larger congregations. Uh, I, I think it was, in fact, this may have been the interview that you heard. I, when I was interviewed by Tony Morgan about a year or so ago, he actually said, talk to me about the S word. I go, what mean the S word? <laughs> he said, he said, well, we, here at the unstuck group, we call it the S word small. And they call it that because I have outlawed the term small. We at Unstuck are not allowed to use the term small group, small church, because I have told them you cannot use the word small church because it, 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 it feels insulting. And he said, but you are a small church pastor and you embrace the term small. Why are you OK with it? So I explained to him what I just explained to you. And then I told him, I said, I appreciate it. And I understand and appreciate that for you from a big ministry context that you would say, let's not use the term small because we don't want to come across as insulting. Let's call it normal size to normalize the idea. And so what I told him was, I absolutely understand and appreciate that language shift for you. It makes sense. But for those of us who are in a small church context, who are ministering to small churches, and for what I'm doing, I use the term small simply to reclaim the word and to say there's nothing wrong with being small and there's nothing wrong with using the term. So normal size, small kind of goes back and forth and depending on your context. But yeah, small is normal. Uh, that's simply the way most churches are. And so we have to really recognize small is big is exceptional. Mega church is really exceptional. It's a real outlier. And for too many years, we've looked at the mega church and the big church as if that's normal and as, as if that's expected but it's not. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with big. I am not anti-big by any stretch of the imagination, but it's not typical. It's not normal. Mm-hmm. And that's got to be encouraging for the pastor of what you call the small church to know that it's normal. I mean, then you can live within your own skin. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, and, and in fact, the 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 title of the first chapter of my first book, the title is, Hi, I'm Carl, and I'm a small church pastor. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, and I, I, I led my book out with that phrase because you know it sounds like another phrase from another group, right? Yep. Uh huh. It sounds like the opening statement at an AA meeting, and I, I did that intentionally because I remember when I was first able to admit that I was a small church pastor, it felt like I was standing in front of an AA meeting and admitting some you know fault or some deficiency or something that I've been trying to hide from others for years and was finally able to stand up and go, yeah, I am this. And 
the first step in doing it well is to admit that I am this. And so even when I do a talk, when I do a conference, the first line I do in my teaching is I stand in front of a room of people and I say, hi, I'm Carl and I'm a small church pastor. And I cannot tell you how many small church pastors have heard me say that or who have read it in the book and have responded to me and go, I, I realized I needed to say the same thing. I talked to one guy a while ago. He said, I read it when I was in my trailer at a campground. And when I finished reading your book, I climbed up to the top of the trailer, stood on top of my trailer and screamed, hi, I'm Ralph and I'm a small church pastor. And he said it was one of the most uh, freeing things that I've ever done in ministry. Yeah. That reminds me of a friend of mine. We were talking and he was, he wasn't bemoaning the size of his church, but he was talking about it. And he talked about a, a moment that dawned on him. He said, you know, I was reading in Nehemiah, and Nehemiah was asked to go down with Sambalat and Tobiah to the plain of Ono, and and I said to them, you know, Nehemiah said, I can't come down because I am doing a great work. And this pastor friend of mine said, I'm doing a great work. My church may be small, but we're doing a great work. And that was a yes. game changer for him, and I think that's probably what your statement does for a lot of a lot of pastors as well. I am a small church pastor. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 the, within that, I want to just take a quick moment for this because we we've been talking about you know under two fifty. Even the subtitle of my second book says for churches under two fifty. And if you are in a norm, normal sized church, two fifty may be bigger than the biggest church in your town. Two fifty may sound mega to you if you're in a church of that's a typical size of fifty to seventy five. So I, I want to let everybody know when I say small church, I, there's actually two very distinct types of small churches. And the way I phrase it is this, there's the church of 50, give or take 50. And there's the <laughs> church of 150, give or take 50. Mm -hmm. And those are two very distinct types of small churches. I absolutely understand that in the church of 50, give or take 50, there are a whole lot of different issues than in the church of 150, give or take 50. Exactly. But the reason I include everybody under 200 or 250 as a small church, first of all, church growth experts have done that universally. But secondly, uh, the church of 200 and the church of 50, the way you pastor them has far more in common than the church, than the pastor of a church of 200 has with the pastor of a church of 500. Mm -hmm. there's, there's a shift that happens. They call it the 200 barrier. Right. There's a shift that happens somewhere between 150 to 300 where the way you pastor fundamentally changes. Yes. So if you are under 200 or so, you are going to have far more in common with a, a, a pastor of a church of 50 then you will have differences with them, even though there are some real important distinctions to be made. Mm -hmm. Well, in my experience, Carl, I've, I've seen and, and I've spoken in a lot of churches that are small churches in both those categories you just mentioned. And the finest pastors I know, or some of the finest pastors I know, are pastors of small churches or normal-sized churches. I mean, yep. there's no there's no getting around it. It's just a decision that the Lord has made concerning, apparently, the size or the numerical size of their church. But that doesn't stop them from being pastors of healthy churches. Absolutely not. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Okay, well, you, you made a comment once uh, as you told your own story that you were uh, at one point a large church pastor pastoring a small church. Uh, is that, I may have misquoted you there, but um, how long did it take you to recover from that? And since you've recovered from that idea, 
I know we've talked about it already in our conversation, but anything else that you can talk about that has changed within you or changed with you since that mindset sure. was changed? Yeah, no, I know the quote you're talking about. Um, I, 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 I've been a small church pastor for over 30 years now, and I didn't know I was a small church pastor for the first 20 years. I thought I was a big church pastor that just hadn't arrived yet. Right. Um, and there are a lot of small church pastors who feel the same thing, uh, which is why that phrase, I'm a small church pastor, is so freeing because mm-hmm. we're, we're simply denying uh, at least our current reality. So, you know, uh, if you pastor a church of under 200, whether you want to admit it or not, you're a small church pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may That may not be that way forever, uh, or it may be for most of your ministry. And for most of us, we are going to pastor small churches for most or all of our ministry. Um, I was convinced I would be the exception to that rule. Mm-hmm. Turns out I'm not. And I'm now not only okay with it, but I celebrate that and, and do everything I can to do that to the best of my ability. Uh, but w- once you discover that, one of the things that has really been very uh, helpful for me is to realize if um, small churches are normal, and if in fact I am a small church pastor, then I am open to discovering uh, how to do small well rather than simply how to get the numbers up. And if, if, we are, if we convince ourselves that numerical increase is the best or in some situations is the only way to really measure a healthy church, uh, then we, we end up doing some unhealthy things to get the numbers up. It's kind of like the person who decides, I want to lose weight. And they begin by getting on a healthy diet and going to the gym and doing healthy things. But then as they get to the gym and they start losing the weight and they start seeing the numbers drop, they start thinking, oh, I just got to get a few more pounds, a few more pounds. And if the only thing they start concentrating on is the numbers, they end up eating unhealthily and doing unhealthy things to drop the numbers. And that's where people often end up in situations like bulimia and anorexia and, and other eating disorders because it, it, it changes our, it shifts our mind. And I know there are other things behind that. So if you are mm. suffering with that, I am not meaning in any way to simplify, to oversimplify a complex medical and, and, and mental issue. That's not what I'm doing. But if, if we're only concentrating on the numbers, very quickly, we can start doing unhealthy things to get the numbers down. Likewise with church growth, if our main reason for becoming healthy is to get the numbers up, then when the numbers start going up, if doing something unhealthy gets my numbers up, then I'm going to be tempted. <laughs> and we, we can look around at the wreckage of churches, whether they became big or didn't, the wreckage of pastors who have sacrificed their integrity in order to bring their numbers up and have either turned a great church into an unhealthy one or who have flamed out of ministry entirely simply because it becomes only about the numbers chase. So if you take an unhealthy small church and you only make it bigger, you now have an unhealthy big church and that's not better. That's worse. Boy, boy, that's so But if you take an unhealthy small church and you make it healthy, even if it doesn't become bigger, it became healthy and healthy is always better. So if you, pursue numbers, you might lose health, not necessarily, but you might lose health. And that's a risk I'm not willing to take. But if you only pursue health, you might get numbers thrown in. But even if you don't, healthy is always a positive step. Mm -hmm. Because where our treasure is there, our hearts will be also. 
Exactly. Yeah. So now, now your focus is on healthy churches, and hence the title of your latest book, 100 Days to a Healthier Church. Good segue. Yeah, very good segue. Thank you for providing <laughs> that segue. <laughs> so, yeah, I'd like to talk about this book. I haven't read it, but uh, I would love to hear about it. I'm all ears. What is a healthy church? Yeah, that's a a, a, a good question. Um, this book came out of, after I had written Small Church Essentials, uh, and then we moved almost, I mean, as I was finishing it up, we were actually moving into the pastoral transition that we talked about earlier. And we did this pastoral transition, and it went so smooth that it almost worried us. Like, there must be some problem somewhere that we're just not seeing. <laughs> we must be going through this rose-colored glasses, because, and, and, but we're not. We, me, you know, Gary and I are both realists. We we anticipated problems. We looked for problems. When we see a problem, we're grateful to find it early in the process so we can fix it. That's just how we operate. So, you know, it, it, we did just the problems just didn't materialize in this, and it really actually concerned us. And then it hit me. Um, this is going so smoothly because this is not the first time we've done a major transition in the 20, now 27 years that I've been at the church, 25 at the time. This was the fourth and maybe even the fifth, depending on how you count them, major transition that we had taken the church through in the 25 years that I'd been pastoring it. And two of those major transitions were rescuing the church out of disasters that came close to closing the church's doors. Mm. So we've now done it four times in a very big way, five times if you throw in another kind of smaller turnaround. And I looked at that and thought, you know, what ha what's happened was each time we've done a major turnaround, we've learned something new. And we now have a, a tool belt of go-to ideas and thoughts and, and, and workable solutions that have helped us do this ma massive turnaround. I mean, think about it. A, a pastor who'd been there 25 years steps aside. His associate steps up to become the pastor. The previous pastor of 25 years stays on staff, and there's not a ripple of discontent or a problem. As a friend of mine said, you did all of that and nobody died. <laughs> <laughs> right. Wow, that's great. Right. That, that is a massive transition to do with barely a ripple. And so we realized it's because we've been doing this. We've been making these big changes uh, when we've needed to. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to put all this down so that I don't forget it. And then as I began to write it down, I realized other churches could use this. So we, we took all of these principles that we've learned over four or five of these massive turnarounds. And then I thought, let's put it into a format so it's not just a whole bunch of principles and pick and choose, but let's actually order them in a way that takes you from the very beginning steps to the end steps. And then I put it into a 100-day format. Um, for a couple of reasons. One, 100 is just a nice round number on a cover of a book. Uh, let's admit that. Um, mm -hmm. But mostly because, um, it's, and in fact, we even mentioned it in the book, some of the reasons. 100 days is about the length of a season of the year. Mm -hmm. You know, 90 some days is about the length of a season of a year. And 100 days actually begins on a Saturday, Sunday, and it ends on a Saturday, Sunday. So it gives you nice bookends. It gives you uh, a chance to hit certain markers so that you don't just kind of let the thing fade because you've got the next day coming up and there's an instruction for the next day. So it really helps to order things. It's very intensive. It is not easy to do. 
Um, uh, but if a church really takes it seriously and goes through that 100 days, you'll notice the cover. It doesn't say 100 days to a healthy church. It says 100 days to a healthier church. And that's, yeah. that's intentional. If you if your church is toxic and and fighting and just about on a civil war, uh, you're not going to be healthy in a hundred days. <laughs> right, right. But you can be healthier than you are now, mm-hmm. as in you can go from a negative five to a negative four. Mm-hmm. But I'm not promising that you can go from a negative five to a positive five in a hundred days. That's that's that. So th- this book is more about laying down precept after precept, principle after principle. It's about nudges and not giant leaps. So it makes some baseline, um, I was going to say promises, but it really isn't. It makes no promises whatsoever, but it lays down some baseline principles that if you follow them, you can move towards health. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and I don't sense at all that it was a, it's a wooden kind of a process at all in your website on this uh, particular book. You talk about the process is it's manageable, it's adaptable, it's effective. It doesn't fix everything overnight, but it will help you figure out what to do next. So it's a tool. It's a tool that the spirit can use to help a pastor and his team uh, do something differently. Yeah, yeah. And the premise of it is, you know, so many times when we read a church, you know, these church growth or leadership books, it feels to me often like you want my church to become like your church, and that's not what this is at all. Uh, it goes through biblical principles, first of all, to establish what did Jesus say his church was going to be. Secondly, where is our church right now? Thirdly, how close or how distant are we from where Jesus wants our church to be? And then how do we get there and how do we put the plan together? So it's really about uh, rediscovering Christ's plan for his church, rediscovering Christ's plan for your congregation and then putting the principles in place for you to get closer to the place where God wants your church to be. There's nothing in it at all about like the newest, latest, coolest ideas or, Hey, here's what that church down the street is doing. No. Where does God want your church to be? And how do you get one step closer to that is really the entire premise of the book. Okay. So it's tools to self-evaluate as a church, but also tools to move from there into a healthier version of themselves. Yeah. Exactly. All starting with, in fact, I think day number one is um, check in with the church's owner. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> and, 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 and very clearly we say the church's owner is not the members of the denomination or the pastor or even the tithers. Check in with Jesus. What does Jesus want his church to be? And we always have to align ourselves back to that. Mm-hmm. I think this is going to resonate really well and probably already has with pastors that are reading us because nobody wants to be manipulated by some sort of a program that is going to conform us into the image of their church. But right. to, to do it Jesus' way, that's that's what we really want in our hearts. Yeah, that's the hope. So um, just one or two highlights from it uh, as far as like uh, a definition maybe or a criteria or criterion for... Uh, what does healthy look like? What what do you look at? I mean, I you hear I hear you describe your church in Fountain Valley, and that has to be healthy for that transition to have taken place. This latest one with with Manny is that his name? Your assistant? Gary. Gary. Oh, sorry, sorry about that. Anyway, yeah, that has to be. Uh, there has to be elements of health there. So, what are a couple of those? Just well, that you can kind of like spoiler alerts almost. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it, it all comes back to um, 
the, the two basic principles that I have always noticed, and then a third one that we've already talked about that I added to the mix, it's the Great Commandment, the Great Commission, and then what I've come to call the Pastoral Prime Mandate, which is mm-hmm. uh, making sure that we're pastoring biblically. Um, so, you know, first of all, the, the, great, the great Commandment, are we in fact uh, sh- loving God and demonstrating that love of God? Are we in fact loving each other and demonstrating that love? Mm-hmm. Thirdly, second, then the Great Commission, are we sharing our faith? Are we doing so in a way that makes sense for the context in which we are? Uh, for instance, I, I, I don't use the term uh, like relevant, uh, our, our church should be relevant, not because I don't believe in relevance, but because that word has become so weighted down with baggage in the last decade. Yeah. Um, and it, it, you know, relevant in most people's minds now means cool. Yeah. Uh, and that's not what relevant means, but that's what it's come to mean. So I don't use the word relevant. I say we need to be contextual. We need to minister pro- uh, appropriately for the context that we find ourselves in, which is being relevant to our context. But again, takes away the baggage of that. Okay. So great. we have to take. So we have to take a look at that and ask, you know, are we being contextual? Are we ministering? Is is the Great Commission being done in a way that speaks the language of the community surrounding us? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then then adding to that, uh, I talked to the pastors and the leaders of the church directly out of Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, which, to my surprise, about 10 years ago, I discovered is literally the only place in the Bible where the word pastor is mentioned. There's only one time where the word pastor gets a mention in the entire Bible. <laughs> as pastor centric as our churches are, we get one mention. And in the place where we get that mention, we have to share that mention with four other ministry gifts, the apostles, mm-hmm. prophets, teachers, and evangelists. So what it tells us is pastor, you should be sharing the leadership load among others. We don't even, we're never solo. We're never, we're only mentioned once. So it's not all about us Two. When we are mentioned, we're mentioned among four other leadership gifts, so we have to be sharing the leadership role in the church. And thirdly, when we are mentioned, along with those other leaders, we are given one instruction, and it's not to do the work of ministry for everybody. It's to equip God's people to do work of ministry. Yep. But what, and, and that, to me, has been a big kind of aha moment because the Great Commandment, Great Commission, I understood, I knew, I was, I was aiming towards – but I was trying to get everybody there myself. I was putting all of the responsibility for that on my own shoulders. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the Bible tells us that's not the way it's supposed to be. There are multiple gifts, including multiple gifts of leaders. And those leaders are not even then to do all the work in ministry. We're called to equip the saints to do that for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that to me is a big uh turning point it was for me and i believe it is for most pastors as i talk to them where they realize oh so it's not about if i get a bigger church i've got more people i have to take care of which is you know kind of how we see it or i've got to hire more staff or whatever no our job from day one is to find is to make disciples who make disciples and that changes the dynamic of the church that to me is is what a healthy church looks like so we start with loving God, loving each other. We then move into the great commission of sharing our faith with others in a contextual way. And we do all of that while, while discipling each other to become disciple makers. Mm. That's it right there. Boy, thanks for that. That's so encouraging. I think that, you know, 
if a pastor gets that, then he gets back up on top of that roof that you're talking about and shouts out and says, I exist for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. I don't do it all myself. <laughs> That's great. Absolutely. Oh, the, 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 the weight that is lifted when oh. you start doing that and you start seeing that becoming effective within a congregation, I cannot tell you how freeing that is. Boy, boy, I bet. Well, I'm going to give you a couple minutes, Carl, as we wrap up here uh, to directly encourage the listening pastor. I want you to speak right to that, that pastor who's listening to this and, um, and share anything that might be on your heart and your mind for them in a, in a minute or two, and then we're going to wrap up. Thanks for this time. It's been great. Oh, you're welcome. Well, yeah, I mean, especially during the season that we are now in, uh, let me speak directly to that. Um, there's a lot of talk and understandably so, about how to get the technical stuff right. How do we do church online? And I understand that. But if, if you're a small church pastor and you're trying to figure it out for the first time ever, if you are able to figure out how to use your phone or your laptop to be heard and to be seen and to be able to communicate with your people in a, in a functional way, do that and then move on. Don't worry that you don't have the production values. Don't worry that it doesn't look like you wish it looked. Can you be seen? Can you be heard? Did you get your message across? Done. Now move along. <laughs> uh, don't, don't bury yourself by the weight of technology. Don't worry about that. If you can do it slightly better next week, then do it slightly better next week and then move on. And by moving on, what I say, what I mean is this. When we hit a crisis, the essentials, the fundamentals matter more. It's like if you've ever watched any kind of an apocalyptic TV show or movie, what one of the first things you understand in these is that the person with the low-tech skills is highly prized when a crisis hits. All of a sudden, they don't need graphic designers. They need somebody who knows how to shoot a crossbow, mm, mm, <laughs> right? Mm. So small church pastors, we are uniquely suited for that. We do the low-tech stuff well. We know how to uh, get in touch with the person who uh, lives a few blocks from the church and doesn't know how to get online, but we are aware of them and we remember them and we know how to call them on the phone. And when they say, yeah, I'm fine, we can detect the crack in their voice that we can tell means, no, they're not actually fine. So we remember to follow up on them. We make sure that we that, that the younger folks in the church go shopping and bring it to the older folks in the church. Uh, all, all of a sudden, all of these tech things, which if you can pull them off on Sunday and speak to tons of people, great, God bless you. But that is not where the bulk of your energy should be put. If you're a small church pastor, put the bulk of your energy into old school, low tech, high touch, personal ministry. That's what people need right now more than anything else. Amen. Amen. And during this crisis, and so appreciate those words, To during this crisis, uh, Carl, you and Moody Press have agreed to make the ebook versions of 100 Days to a Healthier Church and Small Church Essentials available for just 99 cents. So to do that, they go where? Uh, go to uh, the Spark page, so carlvaders.com slash spark, so that you'll be putting up on yours. And if you scroll down, you'll see the pictures of both of those books and it comes directly from Moody. 99 cents. You download the ebook on both of those. Uh, the first book, 2.99 on Kindle, 
it's self-published, so I don't have the ability that Moody has. And that that two ninety nine was the lowest they would let me drop it on Kindle. I not I don't know why, but that's that was kind of like a floor that we landed on. <laughs> so uh, we just want to get the tools into people's hands as quickly as we can to as many people as we can. This is not a time to be trying to push somebody's brand. This is a time to get tools into people's hands. So Moody, when I suggested that immediately, there wasn't even a half a second delay. They said, that's a great idea. Let's do it. 99 cents. And the print version is 50% off of both of those books, which I don't even know if that covers their costs Mm, to actually print them uh, and get them to you. So they just, they're agreeing with me that this is not a time to be trying to sell books and push our brand. These are, resources that people can really use so let's just get them to into their hands as quickly as we can much appreciated and the spelling of of the website is carlvaders.com that's k-a-r-l-v-a-t-e-r-s.com slash spark there we go to get to those resources well thank you so much carl for joining us it's been a blessing to have you on strength for today's pastor and what you have shared i know is going to be very helpful and may the lord use it mightily for his purposes Thanks so much. You got it, Bill. Thanks. Great to be with you. Well, I sure have enjoyed and learned so much from this conversation with Pastor Carl Vaders, and he's been a real blessing to many, strengthening pastors and churches. But before we leave you today, I'd like to encourage you to visit our website at poymanministries.com, where you can find a bunch of great podcasts recorded with you, the pastor, in mind. Also, you'll find great encouragement and support for your ministry. So go ahead and take some time and visit us on the web. Once again, our web address is poymanministries.com. I look forward to meeting you on our next podcast. And from all of the staff and pastors here at Poyman Ministries, we wish God's very best upon you and your ministry. So long until next week. Strength for Today's Pastor is sponsored by Poyman Ministries. You can find us at poinmanministries.com. That's spelled P-O-I-M-E-N ministries.com. If something in today's program prompts a question or comment, or if you have a topic idea for a future episode, just shoot us an email at strongerpastors at gmail.com. That's strongerpastors at gmail.com. May the Lord bless you as you serve Him, His pastors, and His church.